At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The bridesmaids who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Wedding preparation. As a pastor you see all kinds of things going on as people prepare to get married. Now, who usually takes on the responsibility of organising a wedding? Is it a bride or the groom or is it the mother of the bride? Who is it? Ladies, how do you think the father of the groom would go organising a wedding? I mean, beyond getting a suit and a speech ready for the event, how do you think they'd go with all the organisation and preparation? And if the, if the father of the groom was organising the wedding, how do you think the bride and the mother of the bride would go with that? Did you know men have been organising weddings since biblical times and doing a great job? Did you know that? the men. In Jewish weddings it was the groom and his dad that got to work on wedding preparation. It started with the groom going off, I, I don't know if he asked the, um, his bride to marry him, I hope he did. It started with that and then he would go off to build a home for him and his bride on the, on the back or on top of his uh, father's house. But when his father was satisfied that their new home was ready and the bride didn't get to inspect the kitchens or the bathrooms, none of that happened. The groom built it all and when the father was happy with that, the procession to the bride's house to pick her up for the celebration would begin. In fact, it was all a bit of a surprise for the bride. She didn't even know when her, when her groom, when her husband-to-be was going to rock up and arrive. And that's the picture of what's happening in Jesus' parable. I don't know if you heard it, but there's one really, really glaringly obvious, I hope, omission in that. I mean, who's missing in this parable? You've got a groom coming, you've got ten bridesmaids, you've got lamps. Where's the bride? There's no bride. Someone from the first service said to me, did she do a runner? There were ten virgins, depending on your translation, who we would call bridesmaids, but there's no bride. And it was the bride who would actually go out to meet the groom in his procession when actually time arrived for the wedding. But see, here's the thing with parables... You can only push the metaphor so far. Jesus' parable isn't ultimately about a Jewish wedding. It's actually a picture of the cosmic wedding between the bridegroom and his bride, which is Jesus and his people. It's a picture of the return of Christ in glory on the day of the Lord, which is Judgment Day. A day that leads to a wedding feast for some and a day that leads to divorce and isolation and rejection for others. So the question today is, where are you in this picture of Jesus and his bride? Do you see yourself in those wise and prepared bridesmaids going into the wedding feast to spend an eternity with God? And if you do, why is that? What's the basis for your hope? Is it because no one really wants to consider the other option? You see, being locked out of the banquet is a reality for those Jesus finds unprepared. Jesus is the loving Lord and Saviour, but he's not a Father Christmas God. He will also judge sin and unrighteousness and bolt the door to the wedding feast closed forever one day. 
It's just a reality. And so as we approach this text today, let's do it with prayer. Holy Father, humble each one of us today in your mighty presence. Shake up our false sense of security. Show us the dread of your judgment upon all our sin and complacency that we might actually come to fully appreciate the implications of your glorious grace at work in all who turn to you in faith. Lead us to seek the oil of faith and hope and love that we would be prepared and able to stand at your coming, to stand confidently. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All ten bridesmaids in this parable are professing Christians. They all look like Christians. They all say that they're Christians. Here's the difference though. Five are wise and prepared for Jesus' return in glory and five are foolish, stupid, unprepared for the return of Christ. And it all comes down to the oil. It all comes down to oil. For the bridesmaids, it was the oil that would keep their lamps burning while they waited for the groom. These lamps were actually torches with oil-drenched rags wrapped around the head. And that oil didn't keep the lamp burning indefinitely though. They needed extra oil. They needed to have access to more fuel if their lamp was going to stay alight and keep burning as the bridegroom approached. The question is, what on earth does this mean for us? The psalm for today, Psalm 70, it says this, But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you, May those who long for your saving help always say the Lord is great but as for me I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. Lord, do not delay. The psalmist says that the oil of preparation and wisdom for the Lord's return is a lowly and yet joy-filled relationship with God. It's all about faith. Faith that submits and looks to God for everything. And then in 1 Thessalonians, the oil is that sure confidence that the Lord will return and that He'll return with all those, all those people who have died in Christ before us. This oil of preparation is the oil of hope, faith-filled hope. And then you heard the prophet Amos before that saying that the oil is compassionate justice towards others. And that warning from Amos, it it comes with a heart-stopping warning actually. I mean, without this oil, you are unprepared and in real danger on the day of the Lord. In fact, the Lord isn't even interested in your worship. He's not interested in your offerings. He's not interested in your music or your singing. If your attitude towards other people has no compassion or sense of justice for their welfare... In fact, if that's the case, the Lord views your worship and singing as nothing more than noise and a horrid stench that he won't even acknowledge, let alone reward eternally at his banquet table. It's when the holiness of God becomes outright dangerous. This oil is about your attitude and actions towards other people created and formed in the image of God. It's the oil of love and that oil of love flows out of your relationship with Jesus. Now, faith, hope and love, it reads like a summary of your life as a disciple of Jesus, prizing him and clinging to his word as your first love, cherishing all that it holds out to you as if it's your your greatest treasure. 
It's about living in the will of God and avoiding everything that contradicts his word and will for your life and your treatment for other people. What's God saying to you today about your life as his disciple? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you about your preparation? The foolish and unprepared Christians, the ones the Bible calls a bit stupid actually, they had no reserve of oil with them. They weren't prepared. Their kind of Christianity was half-hearted. The kind that takes the word of the Lord absolutely seriously, takes the word absolutely seriously, sort of, when it suits, when it tells me what I want to hear, then I'm serious. The kind of faith interested in all the benefits of membership, having all its needs met, but not interested in bearing the fruit of faith, not interested in bearing the fruit of compassionate love, not interested in hope unless it's about my personal hopes and dreams. We can't avoid it. Jesus, he says this kind of Christianity ends up locked out of the kingdom with loud weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. I mean, when crunch time comes, these people, they they beg the wise and prepared Christians for oil, but it's too late. Their lamps are out. The oil has run dry. You can't borrow someone else's faith at crunch time. It's not theirs to distribute. Oil only flows into your life through being and gathering in the holy presence of God. Oil flows into the humble who receive it with thankful and obedient hearts because they understand its infinite value for their life now and they understand its value for their eternal life. A few years ago, I was called to the home of a family who had lost their daughter to suicide. It was absolutely tragic. There's no words to say when that happens. And they used to go to church. But the oil had run dry over decades and the lamp had gone out. And I saw God do this amazing thing. He did an amazing thing. In their grief, God called them and invited them back into his presence. And so they came back to church after, after decades away from church and I would see them making their way from the back rows down there up to the communion rail and as they would come forward to the altar, they would be shaking because of the tears. And they held their hand out for God's precious oil of communion in the presence of angels and archangels and all the company of heaven and they would shake and week by week this happened and yet they they just kept coming regardless. It didn't matter, they came, they shook with tears at the communion rub. And the amazing thing was that by the grace of God their lamp of faith and hope and love was relit. God reignited it. Week by week it burned brighter and brighter to the point where they could say confidently, you know, we didn't have any hope. We had nothing. The tank was empty but we we have hope again. And the only explanation we have is that God, God has done that. Their oil had been replenished. Their They showed up at church but it was the Lord who filled them with oil and ministered to their hearts. 
Who is God asking you to invite back into his presence that their oil might be replenished again? I mean, is it you? Are you the one that needs to be in the presence of God receiving the flow of his oil? Is it a loved one? Is it a friend or a neighbour? And Do you know that this oil is available and free to all if they will only come and receive it? The Apostle Paul says, my God will supply all your needs. It doesn't say my God will supply your needs when you're in trouble or he'll supply a little bit when you're low. It says my God will supply all your needs, every need. Picture your life being fuelled by the living word of God. Picture your life strengthened and nourished through the presence of Christ in Holy Communion. Picture your life being filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Picture your life walking obediently and joyfully in the will of God. And then picture your life without these things. It's a terrifying thought. Without these grace-filled treasures, the oil that is fueling your lamp gradually reduces from a, a roaring flame to the flickering light of a small candle. And if it's still neglected, then the flame dims and extinguishes altogether. You may like to imagine that Jesus will be forever standing at your door knocking and waiting for you to invite him in or to take him seriously. Jesus invites you to to imagine a very different reality today. He invites you to consider that one day that opportunity will be gone that one day the foolish and unprepared will cry out at the door, Lord, Lord, open up for us, only to be held accountable to their own choices and decisions and hear Jesus, the righteous judge, say, I don't know you. I don't say that to frighten anybody. I'm telling you that because that's the word that Jesus is speaking to each one of you today and to me too, to be prepared, to take him seriously. And it's a hard word, which begs the question, is there any comfort from Jesus today? Is there any good news? Well, absolutely there is. The good news is that the door hasn't been bolted shut for eternity. There's still opportunity. The good news is that Jesus tells you this with a great sense of urgency that you might know afresh the wonder and the glory of his grace at work in your life. Because we won't understand it. We won't crave for the treasures of Christ and his cross if we don't grasp the deep consequences and finality and the complete isolation that is coming on account of sin. If we don't get that, we won't crave Jesus. We won't think that we need a saviour. The good news is that you've had a peek into the future today. Jesus started this parable with the words, at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps. Jesus is saying this is how it will end. These are the issues. I'm telling you ahead of time so that you can be prepared now for when I do come for you and hear this because I am coming for you. I'm coming for you. Be discerning and wise so that by my power at work in your life, by my grace which will keep you from falling, by the oil that I will fill your life with, that you will avoid stupidity and foolishness and instead live and walk in my grace, 
that you would know for certain that my grace and my power is made perfect in your weaknesses and your inadequacies. I will cause you to stand when you feel like you're falling. The best news you could hear today is that there is an opportunity for God to turn things around for you. There is an opportunity to refuel your lamp and to keep the tank full. There is an opportunity to turn around from a sort of, when it suits me, if it meets my needs kind of Christianity and instead live each day fueled and ignited by the gifts of God at work in your life. God has filled you with the oil of his love in your baptism or by faith in Jesus. He's filled you with that oil. He's ignited that flame of faith by his Holy Spirit and now he's appealing to you. He wants you to keep that lamp burning and to keep drawing on his unending supply of oil. He wants you to be prepared for a wedding banquet that will have no end. I'm going to finish today just saying that People who are hostile to God, they're looking for a separation. They're looking for divorce. That's what they want. They don't want to be with God. They want to divorce Him. Your Heavenly Father is planning a wedding. Your Heavenly Father is planning a wedding. Your wedding. An amazing wedding. And He offers you today everything you need to keep your lamp burning with the roaring fire of faith and hope and love until Jesus comes. So his question to you today is will you cherish this time of preparation? Will you take it seriously? Will you allow Jesus to cause you to stand, to cause you to persevere so that you're ready and prepared on the day of the Lord? Amen. Heavenly Father, please fill us with your oil of faith, hope and love cause us to stand and not to waver. Give us hearts and minds that are wise and not stupid. Father, your word is truth. Help us to cling to that truth and to know and to long for your coming and to be prepared that we would stand confidently and celebrate with you eternally in your wedding banquet feast. Amen.